Be still and know God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. It is an amazing part of the journey, a miracle really, to be waiting and to be watching as a flame within begins to flicker, begins to burn slowly, beginning to guide you on your path, a light that seems to whisper, come, come this way. It is a way back to life, to connection, to belonging, and it comes from within. It was there all along, waiting and watching for you to remember, to see, to be with what is, and to surrender and to sigh, creating a breath of life, creating a new way home. Good morning, my beloved friends. And welcome to our celebration of another year of ministry together. For 177 years, this community has faithfully gathered to live into some kind of iteration of what I hear in this beautiful poem, discerning a path from darkness to light, from death to life, from fear to liberation. In short, to living a life grounded in the mystery and wonder of discovering God's love in our lives. This poem has a special meaning for me because it was written by a former parishioner in Michigan in 2014, just one year after her then 25-year-old son ended his own life, changing her life forever. It may seem asymmetrical or even antithetical to begin my remarks this morning with this poem and its inspiration, but I do so not to shock or to alarm, but to underscore the courage I have seen in my friend Anne and in so many of you on this journey we share. The title of her poem is simply A New Way Home, not the only way home, not capital T, the way home, but a new way home. And that title and that sentiment summarizes for me what has happened and is happening here at Trinity as we have worshiped and served and learned and listened and lived together for another year. Every Sunday for the past two and a half years as we have gathered to worship, we share and hear the words, welcome home. And over the course of now these many months, I have been honored and challenged and inspired to hear from so many of you reflecting back to me what those two simple words mean. Many of us have lived for years not feeling welcome in any church, 
let alone any expectation that any church would ever want us to feel at home. There are others here today who have always felt welcome and wanted, and we are so grateful because without you, we may have not been able to walk through the doors of this place. And now, without all of us, there might not be anyone to extend God's love in a way that can be seen and heard and felt. In other words, helping others find a new way home. What I hear as I listen to our gospel reading this morning is Jesus extending his invitation to find a new way home to two sets of fishermen. He says to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And then we hear immediately the men left their boats and followed Jesus. Now at this point, I must share much to the chagrin of my very dear friend John, who is an avid fly fisher, I have no interest in fishing. And perhaps more importantly, I've always been a little troubled by the metaphor for discipleship with fishing. You see, the traditional interpretation has gone something like this. We are now Jesus's chosen fishermen tasked with evangelizing others. The fish represent lost souls needing to be saved by us now worthy fishermen. And the role of Christian disciples is to find and hook, you see what I did there? Hook the lost souls by getting them to church and accepting Jesus as their personal savior, insisting that our version of Christianity is the only hope and the only way home, if you will. And really, truly, nothing about that has ever seemed really right or true or even faithful to me. So today, within the context of this annual meeting and a time of looking back over the last year of ministry together, I wonder if who we are becoming isn't a beautiful counterpoint to an otherwise very loud and disorienting view of the gospel. Could it be that what is happening here at Trinity is an authentic response to how we are hearing the call to follow within the context and details of our particular lives and this very particular ministry here on this very particular corner of St. Clair and Adams. What strikes me now as I think about Jesus calling Simon and Andrew and James and John into lives of discipleship is how familiar and close to home his call actually was. You see, Jesus did not invite them to abandon who they were. He invited them to become their most authentic, God-created selves. He invited them to live into the fullness of what it means when we say we are born and made in the image and likeness of the divine. In other words, Jesus' invitation to these first disciples was specific and particular, rooted in the language and culture and vocation that each one of them knew best. What metaphor would make more sense to these four fishermen than the metaphor of fishing for people? 
Simon and Andrew would have understood the nuances of that metaphor in ways that I have no interest and certainly will never understand. James and John knew from years of hard-won experience what depths of patience and resilience, intuition and artistry professional fishing require. These men knew the tools of the trade, the limitations of their bodies, the potential dangers those limitations posed, and the life and death importance of timing and humility and discretion. In other words, what if the invitation to finding a new way home is less about convincing others about a correct doctrine or dogma, and instead, more about finding authentic ways to serve and give and listen and learn right from the context of our very own lives. Our work, I believe, as disciples is not to blindly follow, leaving behind all of what makes us who we are, but rather to seek out paths that stretch our capacity to love ourselves and our neighbors and offer all of who we are to a hurting world. Could we learn to trust our intellects, our memories, our backgrounds, our education, our skills, our wonderful quirkiness as ways that God can use and move and shape us into faithful discipleship? From that perspective, I can hear Jesus' words in a different way this morning when he says, I will make you. Maybe these words imply something altogether different. Maybe Jesus wants us to hear him saying something like, I will take, cultivate, deepen, magnify, purify, protect, and perfect the people of God created each of you to be here in this particular time and place in Toledo, Ohio. When Jesus promises to make us from this perspective, it's a commitment to nurture us, not a threat to sever us from all we love. It's a promise rooted in gentleness and respect, not violence and coercion. It's a promise that when we dare to let go, the things we relinquish might be returned to us anew enlivened in ways that we couldn't have imagined on our own. Most importantly, it's a promise from God to us, not from us to God. As Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor so aptly puts it, this story in this gospel is a miracle story. Jesus calls and the four fishermen immediately follow, no hesitation, no questions asked. Is this because they're men of superhuman courage or prophetic foreknowledge? Of course not. Remember, these are the same guys who later in the Gospels doubt, deny, and then abandon Jesus. They're as fallible, and I would suggest as ordinary as the rest of us, and their own volition cannot get them very far. No, they immediately follow Jesus, perhaps because Jesus makes it possible for them to do so. He meets them exactly where they are. He embraces what they have to give. He loves what they already know. 
So why wouldn't the same be true for us here at Trinity? This is not a story about us, Taylor writes. It is a story about God and about God's ability not only to call us, but also to create us as people who are able to follow. Able to follow because we cannot take our eyes off the one who calls us, because he interests us more than anything else in our lives, because he seems to know what we hunger for, and because he seems to be the food we need. So my dear friends, as we celebrate today this past year of ministry, may we do so remembering that we are indeed called to follow, faithfully remembering that all of who we are, including how each of us got here today, is of God. I want to end this morning with a slight adaptation of a prayer that was written by Aloquin of York, an English churchman who was a scholar and a theologian, a liturgist and an educator, who lived between 730 and 804. May these ancient words feel modern to us today. And may they be words that feed our souls and guide our feet in the days to come, as we too embrace all of who we are as followers of Christ, simply trying to find a new way home. God, go with us. Help us to be an honor to the church. Give us grace to follow Christ's word, to be clear in our task and careful in our speech. Give us open hands and joyful hearts. Let Christ be on our lips. May our lives reflect a love of truth and compassion. Let no one come to us and go away sad. May we offer hope to the poor and solace to the disheartened. Let us so walk before God's people that those who follow us might come into his kingdom. Let us sow living seeds, words that are quick with life, that faith may be the harvest in people's hearts. In word and in example, let our lights shine in the dark like the morning star. Do not allow the wealth of the world or its enchantment flatter us into silence as to your truth. Do not permit the powerful or judges or even our dearest friends to keep us from professing a love that is right. Thank you for everything that you have done and been and how you have showed up for good and for God this year. May it be so.